Athena's here. I'm here. Where's the rest? I don't know. Oh, no. Hello? Oh, yes, we've got two. We're still waiting on Brie. I'm worried about her, um, her connection. connection. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay, so I, this is Athena, and who else is on the... Oh, this is Maggie. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I didn't... Yeah, I forgot that I'm calling from the, the podcast account, so... <laughs> Hi, I'm Maggie. <laughs> oh, no, Brie. I've noticed that her messages are coming in slow, too. Oh, wait. Oh. There she is. There Hi. we go. <laughs> I wasn't getting a notification. Hello. There we are. We're all here. We all did it. Perfection. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Success. All right. This is me. Hi, uh, this is the with pod. <laughs> We're a mess. Um, today we have a very special guest joining us uh, for this episode. So we'll go ahead and introduce ourselves, starting with Maggie. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> what is this? I'm getting to the That was weird. <laughs> We really are off to a good start. Uh, do I risk restarting or should I just keep going? Should I just keep barreling forward? Uh, I think we're good. Be hilarious. Okay. We All right. All right. Everyone, everyone is hopefully laughing. Hi, everyone. My name is Maggie Derrick. I'm an author and artist based out of Vancouver, Canada. I um, tend to write fantasy and paranormal and it's always of the queer variety and i'm excited to be here with you today i really have to write down my introduction i always think i know what i'm gonna say and then i blank out but that's me we need to, we need to be more like athena athena show us yes all right so intro my name is athena wright i'm from toronto canada I am a self-published hybrid author, and I write contemporary new adult romance about rock star musicians and the girls who tame their wild hearts. Ooh, sexy. Yeah, that was so much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I write stuff about things. <laughs> yes. Sometimes there's kissing and stuff. Um, hello. I'm Brianna Keenitz. host today, joining you from illustrious Helen Montana Starbucks I don't even know I just like that's a coffee shop they'll have Wi-Fi <laughs> I'm not in my house and it's confusing and I don't know what to do with myself um I what do I write I write women kissing in the sci-fi and contemporary genres mostly sometimes fantasy whatever I feel like writing that day um yeah and uh, as I said, we have a very special guest joining us today. So, Zoraida Cordova, if you would like to introduce yourself. I would, I would definitely introduce myself. Hi, guys. I'm Zoraida Cordova. I'm currently spilling coffee on myself because they gave me a really full cup at the coffee shop. Um, I write young adult fantasy, urban fantasy. I also write uh, adult romance uh, under the name. Yay! <laughs> um, Wait, under the name what? Zoe Castile, Zoe and Castile, like in the soap, <laughs> slash the Queen of Spain uh, from the 1400s. 
Um, and my latest book is Bruja Born, which comes out on June 5th. It is about a girl who um, casts a curse that revives her dead ex-boyfriend and the entire soccer team. And then she has to literally find a way to kill him. Otherwise, zombie apocalypse happens in Brooklyn. <laughs> my mouth, my jaw is literally hanging open. Having read the first book, I'm so excited. <laughs> I did. I didn't know. I've been kind of like keeping the news at bay. I've been watching your updates on Instagram, and I'm like, oh, I'm getting that enamel pin. But I've been trying to keep it all a surprise. Yeah, and that's like the first I've really heard. I know what the, I know who the characters are, but I'm just like, this is great. I love it. I'm so excited. Yeah. Okay, thank you yeah. guys for having me on your podcast. Oh, thanks, thanks for, for joining our here. <laughs> okay. All right. On my tea. Today, I thought we might talk about uh, playing the long game in publishing. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I... Sorry, you've been... <laughs> a while. No, I was going to say that I've, I've been publishing since 2012, and I... I only just feel like I'm getting a little bit of traction. So I feel like I could talk about like the long game of publishing for a little while. No, that's, that's awesome. And it's, I think, I feel like it's always a timely conversation, but in particular, I feel like just kind of watching people chatting on Twitter, it seems like this is coming up a lot lately for some reason. So I don't know if it's maybe that season or, or something to that effect, but I'm seeing a lot of kind of gentle reminders to people who are, maybe querying for the first time or just getting started that this is really there. A lot of the whole publishing is a marathon, not a sprint. So I think this is a really great conversation to have with someone, particularly someone who really knows what they're talking about and has experienced it firsthand. Um, so yeah. yeah. One of the reasons why that conversation is happening a lot is because there's so many debuts this year on YA and I think because there's so many debuts, like everyone has this feeling that they're not going to be as successful as the person who came out the week before, the week after. And I feel like if you don't hit the list, the New York Times list, like the week that you're out, you're a failure. And that's just simply not true, you know? Um, so I think that there's like all of those syndromes, imposter syndrome, et cetera, all happening mm. at the same time. Yeah, I think... Um you see so much conversation about imposter syndrome, which is kind of, I mean, as, as someone who we're all coming from different backgrounds on this podcast, like Athena said, she's self-published and she's been at it for a while. I'm only online published and, and Brie is uh, indie published. And so we've kind of, we've got all these different backgrounds, but I can like speaking for myself as someone who would like to, eventually you have something ready to pitch it's really kind of nice to hear that people who are who have an air quotes around made it because I know it's a constant process it's there's never really one point of being of arrival but it's nice to hear that that maybe doesn't change so I don't <laughs> I don't feel really alone the idea of imposter syndrome being something that everyone's sort of experiencing is I don't know oddly reassuring if that makes sense mm -hmm. I don't know <laughs> I think I think I've, I've I've had like I felt imposter syndrome my entire career, just because I've it 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 doesn't always go away, and I think that it's it's actually not very healthy 
because mm. at a certain point you should feel like you it's not just about belonging it's about like accepting the work that you've done or that you've gotten done and like I think that when we feel like it's not enough I think that we, like, making our our little books feel bad about themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I never want to be resentful of the work that I did because it's always going to be the best that I could do at that period of time in my life with the resources that I had. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you for saying that. Yes. <laughs> because I just looked back on one of my earlier books and I was going to do a box set with it thinking maybe I'll, mm-hmm. you know, put these together, throw it up. And then I looked at the first book in the series and went, oh, it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's complete yeah. trash. Why did anybody buy this? So, but you know what? At at the time, I was doing the best that I could with the skills that I had. Right. I mean, I, I look at my first series. My first series was a mermaid series or merman. Uh, it's about a teenage guy who becomes a merman. And I, I like, I was 19, 18 when I wrote, when I started drafting that book. And I'm like, what did I know about the world? Literally nothing. Um, <laughs> and so I think that if I wrote it now, like circa now, 10 years later, almost, I I would write it differently. I, it would be a different book. It would be um, not 10 years later, 12 to 13 years later. I'm aging myself down. <laughs> um, but I would, I would. It sneaks up on you, doesn't it? No, it sneaks up on you. I'm like, wait, no. <laughs> no. Possibly. So it's, it's been very, very interesting to look back on your work. Um, did all of you guys start writing? fantasy or when did you all start writing because I started writing when I was like we 13 yeah me too (laughs) I was 13 too I had like the ambition of writing I was what I remember being teenagers with Athena driving through town in the middle of the night and us both like talking about our writing ambitions but I was one of those people for the longest time who thought if I don't have my complete idea totally perfected I can't start um and eventually thankfully as I got older I realized you're never going to have your complete idea totally fleshed out you just got to go for it and I finally started writing in my late 20s <laughs> yeah I remember that conversation yeah. I remember us driving in your car and you were talking about that story you've had in your head for years like your entire life and now you're finally writing the star in the ocean. Like how many years later we did it we were a decade <laughs> Sometimes you're just not ready to write a certain story. I've had, a, I've had this idea for the past 10 years that I haven't felt ready to write. Like, I'm like, you know what? In a couple of years, I'll be a better writer. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe I'll figure it out. And so I'm waiting. And I think I'm, I think I'm finally, like, in December, that's going to be my new project. Ooh. You know? So Ooh. it's a secret project. And I don't jinx it, but it'll still be fantasy, and it's like it's more big picture, and I think that's why because it's so complicated putting it all for so long. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm getting us all excited over here. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I started writing last year. So. <laughs> Was it last year? No. Now you you must be coming up on a couple years now. Yeah, two years now. Yay. But um, the, yeah, the realm of seniority. You're our baby. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think reminding myself really, really, because um, 
went so fast through everything, uh, like too fast, and I knew that. But at the same time, it's like, hey, we learn things. Move on to other things. Do better next time. So, um, like, hey, this was your first book, and like, get all the BS out of the way now, and now before people. Than, <laughs> your fledgling phase. Yeah, <laughs> I had that sort of idea where I I was going to do NaNoWriMo every month for a year because I thought if I do twelve novels in one year, I'll get all the trash out right now. <laughs> and then in a year from now, I'll be great. Oh, were you you were trying to do NaNo every month? Yep. <laughs> wow. And I I didn't get I didn't get um, NaNo every month. I would do like twenty thousand words, and I would. I've been. I've been steadily writing thirty thousand words for the last few years, and it's been bananas. I'm absolutely burned out, but um, I think I need. I need. I need like a six month vacation. I'm just gonna go into like woods and forks for vampires. <laughs> <laughs> That's. I'm exhausted just imagining writing that much that consistently. Like I remember, like at the end of NaNoWriMo, I even, even if I don't hit the fifty thousand, I feel like I need to take a breather. So you're a beast. <laughs> That's amazing. Like my family doesn't understand that it's actual work. Sometimes, mm. or, or my friends, you know, I'll be like, "Oh, I have to do this," and they're like, "We'll just write tomorrow." And I'm like, "Wow, why didn't I think of that?" <laughs> <laughs> I'll just think up words tomorrow. I think that only writers understand the process. Mm. And, and it's just, it's, it's something that like, I almost can't, I can't even explain it to some of my non-author friends because they're like, well, when do you get inspiration? I'm like, sometimes you have to write when you don't have inspiration. And it's just getting some words out to get to a certain stage. And that's always been my process. Yeah, I've, I see a lot of conversation about that, the, the difference between like, some people saying, you know, you don't have to always write, you got to write when you feel it. And then other writers, and then I think it really comes down to everyone's a little bit different. But I think there's also something to be said for, um, I, I heard this really recently, I, I lost my job earlier in the ugh, late winter, early spring, somewhere in there. And I remember thinking, okay, I want to, I'm going to use this time constructively and I'm going to do a lot more writing during this period of time. And someone had said, it must've been on Twitter because that seems to be the only place I get any information. It's the only place I talk to people. And uh, someone had said, you know, if you want writing to be your career, or you want it to be a job, you got to treat it like one, which means you have to, you got to go to work every day. And I was like, oh, well, that's a great way of looking at it. Like, and I mean, I know there are almost, Hello? Are we still all here? I don't know. I think Bree might have I think we here. lost Bree. Oh, no. Oh. Um, okay, well, what we usually do when someone uh, gets dropped out of the call is we take a quick break and we call back. <laughs> okay. From the audience's point of view, from the listener's point of view, all that happens is that there's like a quick, you know, a quick blip a, and then a we're A fun back. little transition sound and then we'll be right back. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll call everyone back. 
stay tuned. <laughs> Hi, Brie. Uh oh. Hi. What? What? Uh-oh. We're all back. We're all back. We're back. Here we are. And that's sad. It's good, but it's sad because we were in the middle of a great conversation, and I don't want us to forget what it was. And I broke it. I couldn't even hear it because I was dying, and I was like, Oh no! Oh no! Athena, is that your way of saying that you don't actually remember what it was, and you're hoping somebody else does? I yes, because I was thinking, Oh, I have a really thing to say about this, and gone. Okay, I remember what it was. What yes. Was it? it was, uh, we were talking about uh, how somebody said that you have to treat writing like your work and mm. write every day. Yes, and like a full-time it. job. I honestly, I, I agree with a part of that. I agree with a part of that, but I don't agree with it entirely. Only because you don't, not everybody works seven days a week. And if you mm-hmm. do that, you would, you would you know fizzle out and never return um but if you the way that I treat it like a job because I do believe that you have to treat it like work um I sometimes I wake up early sometimes I don't it honestly depends like I'm very privileged in the the idea that I like I I have made writing full-time work for me for a very small period of time um it's not really sustainable always um but I will wake up as early as I possibly can. Today, I got a late start because last night I had tequila. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 31, and I can't bounce back as easily as before. Oh, God, it's so true. <laughs> it was my birthday this week, and I had, like, one drink, and that was it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, I, I woke up. I came to the coffee shop. I text my group of friends, and I'm like, hey, we're writing today. Um, and then we'll go... We'll meet up. We'll do some work, and then I'll take a lunch break, or sometimes I won't, and then I'll go home. And so I, I repeat that process. Uh, and no matter what I have going on, I don't write every single day if I don't have to, if I'm not mm-hmm. on deadline. And the reason is because your brain needs time to recuperate all of the creativity that you're leaking out. And so if you're if you're constantly just like exporting your energy and not like getting anything back you're gonna lose that creative spark and you're not gonna want to write at all (laughs) hey that sounds like one of us my life (laughs) (laughs) yeah because Athena is also in the position of of full-time writing and I know that Brie you experienced that kind of writer's burnout as well so that's definitely familiar territory, I think, yeah. across the board. Well, when I, um, when I originally lost my main client and I did this, I was like, okay, so I no longer have full-time money. I need to make my writing full-time. I said to myself, I will give myself three months. Can I get up every day and write? This is my job. I get up, you know, I put on my work clothes, I sit down, I write. And I was able to do that for three months. And I was like, yes, I can do it. And I was able to, you know, successfully prove to myself I can do this full time. But then, like, you start getting a little complacent and a little bit, like, lazy. And then I go, like, three weeks without writing a word. And then I have to scramble to hit my deadline. (laughs) So, yeah, it's like, I feel like writing full time is, like, a real job in that you slack off sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like you, like you're your own boss. So like, oh, yell at me. I'm not going to yell at myself. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way. That's a, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, well, yeah. One of the things that like, one of my favorite things, uh, not my favorite thing. One of the things that I've noticed a lot is I know like there are so many writers, if you go on, on Twitter that are at the moment in time talking about out and talking about what they and I think that it's an industry problem I think that traditional public advanced and and like if advances were smaller and they put more more books than just the one book a season then there would be less authors scrambling to take multiple deals and multiple things so I think that it's true problem um why so many authors are feeling they have been squeezed so like there's nothing left to give and that's really frustrating mm-hmm. and it's interesting to watch the industry sort of change and evolve in different ways um because like if you still want to be here 10 years from now you have to think about the long game mm-hmm. interesting that's a good way of coming back. So what – oh, sorry. I just remembered I'm not hosting this episode. Okay. Bree. Go for it. <laughs> I was Go just going to say, one thing that we, we like to do, just in case we've got anyone who's, who's fresh, any fresh listeners, is we like to define different things that – you know, define the lingo. What, how would you describe the long game to someone who isn't familiar with it? So, I mean, I think it's, it's different for different people and what you actually want out of your writing career. I think you have to ask yourself, what do I want in my writing career? Do I want to be, um, do I want books a year? Do I want to be the kind of writer that writes one book every six years, like John Green, you know? Um, and that's, that's kind of out of your control, but I think that you, the, the planning phase is the control. So for me, the long game is like, I want to publish one book a year for as long as I possibly can. And that's really difficult because I'm currently doing three. So. (laughs) Whoa. um, (laughs) At the same time? Yeah. Well, no, I'm doing three in the year. So I'm alternating back and forth with them. Okay. Because I was Um, like, wow, I can be able to keep one story straight in my head. God. So I I have to separate them so I can keep the story straight. Mm -hmm. But, but, um, when you're when you're thinking about longevity, you have to think about are you going to be happy with a certain story in in the next five years? Because if you're not happy with it, then what is the point of rushing the story? What is the point of what is the point of just like pumping it out and and not giving it time to sort of uh, marinate, edit, and like have and be edited? Um, and so it's every book is gonna come with its own baggage. And when you're when you're putting together your career, I think you have to look at the things that you want. Um, whether it's your agent, your editor, and you shouldn't be afraid to put like big goals on this list. Um, as long as long as you have a team who will help you achieve it. See, I like how you said that because it's kind of a conversation that happens in the indie self-published world where there are kind of different schools of thought. And one school of thought is, you know, release this one book, make it a huge, big splash, like hit top 100, make it 
it'll rise, it'll sell. Awesome. But then within a month or two, sales drop like a rock and you're done. Okay. Whereas there's another point of view where you can release a book and it might not hit top hundred, but it's a consistent evergreen seller. It's not hot. It's not trendy. It's not what everybody's looking for right now. It won't sell like hotcakes in the first month, but it will continue consistently selling over the years. So do you want to have that one hot hit right now and then have no one buy it in three years? Or do you want to have something that you can be proud of year after year after year? Mm -hmm. Right. And then as people start picking up your other things, you can look back on it and say, oh, yeah, go pick this up, too, if you like this book. Because, yeah, you want to have a backlist. And there's something to to be said about bring all of your books. Because they're, they're, if you put all of that pressure on one title, it's going to be, it's going to let you down. Um, unless you have like the massive support of your publisher where they're putting all of their money into the marketing, then, you know, you're sort of left out on your own. I, I, I do most of my, um, like creator campaigns and all of those things. Like, I do all of that myself. Um, and I, I buy all of the, the things myself. Um, and I know that I'm making an investment for a certain book because I have, I think that I, I have enough like readers that they would appreciate a pre-order campaign, mm-hmm. but I would not recommend that for a debut author right away because you never know it's, it's a hit or it's hit or miss. I mean, all of publishing is hit or miss. So all advice is going to be, you know, a grain of salt. <laughs> always. Uh, but I think that there's some, that there's something that like, take with you and you others that you have to figure out what is what's actually the best strategy for you so how how did you come up like what was the decision making process for the one book a year for as long as you could what what kind of factored into that decision for you personally I think that I just I I want to write genre and when you write genre, I think that you already know your world. So you want to you wanna just keep bringing that, bringing that forward. Also, publishing takes a very long time. Uh, like traditional publishing, if my very first book, when we sold it, out like half later. So when you go into traditional publishing, you kind of have to understand that it takes a longer time. And... It's everything goes really, really slowly until it doesn't, and then everything goes fast. Mm. Book a year is is how I would stay relevant in the minds of librarians and booksellers and the people who are. Sorry, the fire truck going by. Welcome to New York. <laughs> um, and and so like to stay to stay current in the market that is like at that period in time. I would love to get to the point where I don't have to pump out my next book for another three years. Like one day that'll be me, maybe when I'm forty. Mm-hmm. But for now, I think that I have to keep keep uh, creating content. Yeah, and it seems like that's really the important part of laying down a foundation for your career is like you need to keep putting out maybe you can't do it every like month or every few months or whatever or even like twice a year but you need to keep showing people that you're going to keep working keep doing things yeah yeah um 
when I when I first started, I think that I'm a completely different writer than I was when I first started. So like my debut novel in 2012 um, was really different. And back then I was so eager. I think that if I could tell myself one thing is to slow, like slow the fuck down. Because <laughs> publishing's not going anywhere. Like we think that publishing's going somewhere, but it really isn't. There's always going to be an editor coming in, editor coming out. Um, I had three editors leave their positions past like month. Oh, um, wow. Burn <laughs> of Saturn, like I broke up with my agent, um, and I'm currently, you know, looking for a new one. And so it's like my entire life, it's like, it's like a sea change, you know? And I, if I, if, if all of this had happened to me four years ago or five years ago, I would be a disaster. But I think that I've gone through enough that I, I understand why things happen and I know that it's not going to affect my actual words because we get so caught up in, in the covers and the, 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 the marketing and all of these other things that we forget about the actual words or the thing that matter. Hmm. Oh, <laughs> I, that much turbulence in, in such a short amount of time. I, I would, yeah. I, can, I appreciate what you're saying about like how you approach it now versus later, because I'm thinking of it and I'm like instant anxiety, sweaty palms, life is over. So <laughs> there's a lot to be said for gain perspective. That's for sure. Thanks. Like, I don't even know how I'm so chill right now. Like I don't do recreational drugs. I like, I don't, I don't, I I don't know. I, you know what? Maybe I just have a good feeling that some things that things are just going to be fine. Because, like there's no other option. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to be fine one way or another. You just got to keep working at it. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, I still have to keep writing. You know, nothing stops. Like, publishing stop for me. So I just have to keep writing. Yeah, that's such a healthy way of looking at it. And I think that's like that's. I think that you could probably apply that way of thinking to basically any step of the, whether it's a step of the publishing process or just the writing process in general, just that idea of there's only so much that's in your control and you're the author and your job is to write and the rest kind of figures itself out. Yeah, absolutely. This is such a warm, fuzzy conversation. Like it's (laughs) making me feel so good about writing and stuff. (laughs) Is there any, are there any like hot burning questions that you guys have about the publishing industry for me? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So many. Um, <laughs> what, um, so when you're publishing under um, your pen, your pen name for romance is, were you publishing um, self-publishing with that? Or was that also traditionally published? That's traditionally published. And that's actually a new development. Like we sold the book. We sold the trilogy last year because I do have a romance series under Zoe, I mean, Zoraida Cordova. I forgot my name. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, so soon. Um, so I do have, I do have a, um, a, a, a digital only deal with um, a publisher called Diversion. And those books are, the first one's called Luck on the Line. And they were technically new adult but the girls are I mean they call them new adult but I think that my girls are a little bit too older in the series to be considered that but it's just like the publishing industry didn't really know what to do with new adult so they were like this is new adult of course it is sure (laughs) Um, and 
and that happened. So um, last year I pulled a series, and I wanted to keep writing romance, but I, I also wanted to write middle grade, and I knew that was going to be a problem um, because the, the series for romance that I wanted to write is a a retelling of the greatest fairy tale ever told, Magic Mike, Double XL. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> That's such a great so, way of describing it. Oh. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, it's called Stripped, and it's called the Happy Ending Series. Uh, oh, my God. I'm just, like, loving this. <laughs> thank you. I created Zoe Castile. I wanted to create a division between the rest of the um, because I wanted I want to have that middle grade audience and I don't want like an eight year old Googling my name and then like seeing like my sexy covers and I'm like, mom can read these, um, mom. but you know, you can read like when you're older. Um, and so, so the, uh, it is a traditional deal with Kensington. Um, I think that I would, I'm going to eventually explore traditionally, uh, so, uh, sorry, um, uh, self-publishing romance late uh maybe next year or later down the line do it join the dark side yeah <laughs> the dark side i i heartily approve of the indie self-publishing route yeah and i i you know it's it's you know there are a lot of things about traditional romance that are really frustrating mainly the covers and the decisions that you don't get to make um with ya i'm okay with that because i understand that there are booksellers and librarians and all of these people that go into that but for traditional romance i just said not really i don't understand a lot of the decisions behind why things are done and so that's why that's why I, I would go that route after I'm done with this series so can you talk a little bit about your decision to use well I guess you kind of did already but like just using pen names and playing the pet game so the pen name is we always talk about brand when we talk about YA and we talk about um, writing so who is your brand and I had an agent tell me recently that my brand was me because I have so many things outside of young adult fantasy. Um, the trilogy and the Brooklyn Bruja series are both urban fantasies. And then my next series with, um, uh, with Glasstown Entertainment is, is a high fantasy. And then my middle grade is, is sort of like a portal fantasy and then I have this romance. And so, like, I think that in order to create a brand, to know, to have your readers know what they can expect when they go into your books, it is, it is an identity thing. It is, it is me. So my books, even though they have, like, really dark and ominous covers, my books are really funny. And I'm, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not, like, very, like, uh, I don't like to, like, give myself a lot of credit for a lot of things. But I will say that, like, I have a lot of humor in my books. And so I think that my readers expect a certain humor when they read something from me. And I think that that is my brand. It's like, the, the world is ending, but here's a joke. Um, and so, and, like, and I think it goes along with name. Like, you know, you know who this person is. You know that when you pick up a book by Sierra Simone, it's going to be super freaking sexy. You know, and so, like, and when you pick up a book by Sarah McLean, it's going to be really feminist and really and like and really sexy as well <laughs> so uh if i were to have a third pen name i would want to figure that out why i'm doing it and what would be the benefit behind having 
two person two 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 to three accounts to manage you know mm-hmm. yep that's really hard it's like you have to manage yourself sometimes people do it for contractual reasons um let's say that you sold a series the series the, like the option for your next book with your publisher the next YA as as like Tiffany Smith and then you decide you're going to be like not Tiffany Smith <laughs> the pen name um like Tiffany Jackson but Tiffany Jackson is a real author uh so like let's say you're gonna be like Tiffany Devereaux or whatever that's your pen name so that you can get out of that contract Mm. and publish under something else and so that's a way that's like a way to work around contracts to have a pen name and that's another reason so there are multiple reasons why you want to do it sneaky yeah that's no that's really interesting I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. I'd always kind of heard that conversation of making sure your readers knew what to expect, but that's very smart too. Yeah. I mean, other, other, like if you want to keep traditional publishing and your book has not sold enough copies that anyone else will buy, like another publisher will buy a book from you. Sometimes you just get a pen name for a tabula rasa, you know, like blank slate, uh, no record, no record of sales that will haunt you for the rest of your life. Um, and so you can start fresh with this other pen name. So that's, that's like a, a third or fourth reason. I don't remember how many reasons I gave you, <laughs> but that's another reason why people would opt to have a pen name. Um, and some, and like, an, obviously another reason is for privacy. Mm-hmm. I know that was one of the big ones for me in, in writing under this pen name was, Somebody asked me that at my reading the other night. They're like, why are you writing under a pen name? And I was like, oh, well, like my career traditionally has been in public relations, which means, you know, people Google my name a lot. And I want to be able to have like my professional identity as long as I'm, you know, working in that field and then my, keep my writing sort of separate. And then there was also right. that element of, uh, as I was explaining to the, this group of people, is that when when I first started writing, I hadn't completely come out as bisexual at the time. And so it was kind of for that, that safety and that, that privacy as well. There's a lot to be said for having a place to sort of escape to. So do you, yeah, totally. do you find that, and we had this kind of conversation with Brie, because Brie's writing it under her real name. And I don't know, maybe it turns out that this is your this is another pseudonym, but if you're writing under your real name, do you find that you miss some of that privacy or, or is it kind of for you just sort of like, this is who I am. This is everything about my brand and I'm, I'm comfortable with completely absorbing that. Um, one of the things that I considered when I was first publishing is giving myself like a wider name because like, obviously you look at the names of Cordova and then people ask questions about me ask, like to me when I'm at a or they expect me to be anything I don't know. There are a lot of expectations that come when you're like a person of color writing. Uh, one of the biggest things is like, why aren't you writing about your immigrant experience? And I'm like, because I moved to Queens and it's boring and I don't have like a fucking like inspirational immigrant tale to tell you. I'm sorry. I want to write about mermaids and witches and vampires. That. <laughs> um, and so like making the decision to keep the right of Cordova for writing fantasy was like very deliberate uh, decision for me. Because, like, I, I am one of, like, very, very few Latinx authors that are currently writing in speculative fiction for YA. Um, and 
the thing that I do miss, like, I don't know if, I don't know if I miss it. I think that I miss from privacy because at the end of the day, um, I, ch- I did change my last name on, on Facebook just because like I was getting a lot of like younger readers and people like adding me on Facebook mm-hmm. and I, I, I wasn't smart enough to keep like my Facebook fan page and my regular Facebook separate because they're linked by email because Facebook is terrible. The devil. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like, I, I, I don't have that much separation between anymore. Um, I had my Twitter account when I was in college um, and then I became an author. And so all of those things are still tracked, you know? Yeah. Um, so there is, I don't have like, like a blank slate when it comes to being a new author person because everything that I was in college and in high school is still attached to that. And I could, you know, like, I don't remember what I was like in high school or college. I might've been a terrible person. <laughs> I wasn't, I was really shy. Um, <laughs> Um, but at the end of the day, like if somebody sees like Zoraida Cordova in the bookstore, I have people from high school, like messaging me on Facebook and sending me like pictures of my book. And some of them I'm like, oh yeah, you were nice to me. And others were like, I'm like, oh, you locked me in a bathroom one time. Don't talk to me ever again. (laughs) Don't talk to me or my book baby ever again. Oh, I have that. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I've got that fear every time I like decide to put on my personal Facebook, like, oh, I won NaNoWriMo and all these people come out of the woodwork like, oh, I can't wait to read your book. I'm like, I don't want you to read my book. Go away. <laughs> get away from me. Or, or you get people like, hey, can I take it over? Uh, you can write it. We'll split it 50-50. I'm like, uh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so like, those are some writing under my real name has been really weird mostly because of work um like when I get new so I'm like the main trainer at work um so when we get new trainees in I'm spending a lot of time with them and um you know we do like chit chatty small talk kind of things and I try really hard not to bring up my writing um at least for a little while but it always comes down to like they find out from someone or something. It's not like I don't want them to read my book, but it's always like, oh, so I found out you write, or like, I found your book on Google or whatever, and I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an adult, I swear. And they're like, I'm going to read it. I'm like, all right. Um, And I've I've decided to just take the attitude of like, well, they're going to go buy my book, so awesome. Um, And the rest is on them. It is kind of awkward. Like, to, like you said, you like keeping your professional and your writing life separate is a little bit awkward. Um, yeah, but- my whole family knows my pen name now. <laughs> oh my! To the point where my cousins are adding themselves to my Facebook group, like my reader group, and I'll post like a sexy little, you know, "Ooh, you have ten dollars for the perfect man." Like, what would you do? And then they reply, like they comment, like, "Ooh, I'd spend one dollar on pecs and one dollar on," and I'm like. Melanie, I don't need to know this about you. <laughs> so even sometimes having a pen name, once it gets out, doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't help. <laughs> nope, 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 not at all. Huh. Oh man, I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying to think. Like, I, I feel like I've got a ton of questions, but I also know that you uh, you have other engagements. So, and I, I think we might be coming up against that your go time. Um, yeah. But you're on Twitter, and you're great on Twitter. I mean, you've you've replied to so many of my tweets when I've tweeted at you, and it always makes me feel really special. So if I think of anything, I know I can tweet you. 
Actually, yeah, everyone can tweet me. My Twitter, <coughs> excuse me, Twitter handle is not a cop. Oh. <coughs> my Twitter handle is Z like in Zorro, which I love. Yeah. I remember the first time I looked you up, I was like, what does that say? And then I had to say it out loud, and I was like, oh, but also I'm Canadian, so I was like, Zed like in uh. <laughs> But I, I picked up on it pretty fast. You still Canadian. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, sorry, I'm doing it again. Bree, Bree, save me Hi. for myself. Um, Zoraida, <laughs> would you like to gratuitously plug your work while you're here? <laughs> um, I have a, my latest book is called uh, Brewhaborn, and it's going to be coming out, like I said before, on June 5th. Uh, I'm actually going to be on tour with um, Donnie O'Clayton. We're ha- we're going on tour this summer called uh, the Bells and Brewhouse Tour. Yeah, you are. And- I've been following this. <laughs> Thirteen days. Uh, it's going to be amazing. There's a website called thebellsandbrewhousetour.com. Uh, we have like a ton of prizes. We're giving away like bags full of art. And- uh, my publisher has sponsored a, a gift basket with like a mug that says Bruja on it and some candles and lotions and stuff like it's, it's like a nice little like self-care reader prize pack. Um, and what else? Oh, I'm in an anthology called the Toil and Trouble <gasps> anthology. Yes. Sorry. And that is going to be like witches and feminism. And that comes out August 28th, which is the same day that the first book in my Magic Mike fanfiction novel comes out. (gasps) (laughs) Um, So Stripped comes out August 28th as well. So it's going to be a really crazy summer. Oh my gosh. I like, I had to stop myself. I had to move my microphone away because I kept gasping. I was like, yes, yes. I was like, stop it. You're interrupting me. (laughs) That's so awesome though. That's so exciting. And I know that I've been following you on Instagram and I've been seeing all the pre-order goodies that you've had for uh, Bruja Born. It's so exciting. I can't wait. And it comes out so soon. Oh my gosh. Time is flying. No, I'm like, on Tuesday, it'll be a week. I'm just like, I'm trying not to freak out. I mean, it's my, it's my, uh, hold on, wait. It's my eighth traditionally published book. And so it's like, one of the things that I'm surprised that doesn't go away is the fear that nobody's going to read your book. <laughs> I was just about to say, because I thought it was interesting that, you know, you've still got that fear. So it doesn't, it doesn't stop, eh? It just keeps... <laughs> it doesn't stop for me. I don't know about for other people. Well, I know a lot of super successful authors who are also like, oh, what if everybody hates it? So I, that criticism, that inward critic that we all have, sometimes it's a little bigger for some than others. Um, it's still going to be there. And it's like your darkest fear just like looming in the back of your head. But I, um, thankfully I have a really good support system. So my advice would be to like, you know, you guys have an amazing support system just with each other. And I think that one of the things that I didn't have when I first started was before I, before I, before publishing, I didn't have other people that understood the process and having somebody that understands your process at what you're going through is hugely important in this industry because there are so many ups and downs and sometimes the downs will last for a long time and sometimes the ups will last for a long time or, you know, and so having a group of friends that, that are in this business helps a lot. Ah, I like yeah. that. I like that a lot. <laughs> this is Aww. just the warmest, fuzziest episode. <laughs> Good. I hope so. I hope that 
I hope everybody, you know, can have this feeling. Yeah. Um, does anybody else have anything else before we do our No, I, I mean, I, I think I'm good and I don't want to encroach on, on your time. I know you got somewhere to be, but I just thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with us. This is so great. Yeah. No, thanks. And I'll, I'll keep in touch on the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody go read Zoraida's books. Definitely. Great. Big time. Go catch up on yep. Labyrinth, Labyrinth Lost before Bruja Born yeah. comes out. So good. So good. Love. Um, well, as for us, we're uh, the Whip Pod. We're kind of a mess. Thanks for listening to us. Uh, you can find us. Uh, you can email questions, comments, concerns to talk to with WIP at gmail.com. Sorry, I'm also in a coffee place and it's loud. It makes weird noises. Um, we are on Twitter. Uh, what are we on? The, uh, the WIP pod, the WIP pod. Um, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, if you heard anything on our episode that you felt was squeaky or uh, inaccurate, feel free to drop us a line. We want to be good, better people. Um, yeah. Did I miss anything? Mm, nope. I think that's, I think you got it. I think you nailed it. Cool. Oh, are you guys? Well, thank you, Zoraida, again for dropping by. And we'll be back next week with, you know, not exciting special guests. It'll just be boring old us, but yeah, we'll be here. Awesome. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. Bye.